Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thank you for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Marcin, co-founder and CPO of Spacelift, an IAC management platform that's raised over $22 million in funding. Marcin, thanks for chatting with me today. Thanks for having me, Brett. Yeah, no problem. So before we begin talking about what you're building, could we just start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background? Sure. So as I'll see you pointed out correctly, I'm a chief product officer at Spacelift. My background is in uh, statistics and software engineering. I've been with Google for seven years. That was the first real job in my career. Then joined Facebook, then spent two years as a CTO of a static load analysis startup. And after that, I spent a couple of years being a consultant for digital transformation, cloud migration, and essentially helped scale up their processes with regards to DevOps. For the last three years, I've been working on Spacelift, first as a CEO, and then as a chief product officer, which I'm currently doing. And you're based in Poland today. When you were working for Google and for Facebook, where was that? Was that in Poland? Uh, no, so that was in, in Dublin, in Ireland. Mm, got it. Very interesting. And tell us about Poland right now in, in terms of the tech ecosystem and, and what that startup landscape looks like. Is there a lot of activity there today? There is definitely way more activity than it used to be. When I moved back to Poland in 2015 and started the startup back then, it was static coach analysis. It was even difficult to find a, a EC that would meet us. Uh, it was extremely difficult to get mentorship. It would be hard to even like people wouldn't even know how to do this whole like startup thing there was some government money being put in some eu funds being funneled into scaling up the ecosystem but it was very much in its infancy and we ended up not raising anything because the terms were so bad that it would be easier to do like a angel investment rounds than to try to go after real vcs and back then people didn't really like you know, established VCs wouldn't even look at Poland as, as a source of good ideas or good companies. Things have changed since then. Now, especially after the pandemic, when it doesn't make that much difference where you are physically because people aren't really meeting in person, the world is a little bit more flat. So being in Poland is not that much of a, of a stopper when it comes to funding, when it comes to good introductions. So things have changed big time for the last seven, eight years. And does Poland have a, a big unicorn or is there like a, a big startup there that everyone kind of looks up to and, and admires? There wouldn't be a single startup that everyone admires, but there are the first unicorn to come out of Poland is a company called Dark Planner, which is a platform for managing. First of all, it started as a review site for doctors and now it's also like a management platform for all things medical. And they're probably market leader in most European countries and some Latin America. So it's a big, important startup coming from Poland. We have a number of shining stars coming from Poland in one way or another, like Booksy, for example. Brand24 would be a 
Polish company. We have companies like Zawi, which is a more recent startup from, I call it our badge because they were funded roughly at the same time as we were, and they're following a similar trajectory. But when it comes to household names, not that many, unfortunately, not yet. Space Swift in, uh, in two to three years, right? Uh, yes, <laughs> hopefully, although Spacelift is a B2B SaaS, so it's not that recognizable a name. You know, it's Booksy would be a, a consumer tech company, so you have a chance to see, like, you know, the mindshare is larger, obviously, than companies like, you know, Datadog is super successful, GitHub is super successful. But if you look, if you ask a person on the street whether they ever interacted with GitHub or Datadog, they just go like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so there's like a difference between being successful in business and being recognizable. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, let's dive a little bit deeper into who you are. So two questions that we like to ask to do so. First one is, what CEO do you admire the most and, and what do you admire about them? The CEO I admire the most is no longer a CEO. And it might be a little bit controversial because we are in some form, a competitor to his current company, but it's Mitchell Hashimoto from uh, HashiCorp. What I admire about him is that, well, he follows very similar trajectory to myself being like an accidental founder. I'm an accidental founder myself. I wasn't ever thinking about starting a company. Like I'm a geek, I'm a nerd, I'm a creator, a tinkerer, an experimenter, but I'm not an entrepreneur by heart. I just want to build cool things. And it seems based on his history, Mitchell is the same. I never met Mitchell, never had the honor. He started the company as an accidental founder. He was extremely successful with his co-founder. And it looks like the more he got into, like the bigger the company got, he actually stayed true to his principles to being a tinker. You can see is like he was a CEO of like a unicorn when he was submitting pull requests to open source projects, right? He was starting those projects himself. And when he realized that being a CEO is not what he wanted or the, he wasn't best suited to the role of CEO, that there were better people to do it and the company could be more successful and he could be happier. He would switch from CEO to CTO, and then he would switch to an individual contributor eventually, which came as a shock to a lot of people. But when I looked at it, you know, I read the announcement, I think it was last year, I was like, ah, yeah, it makes perfect sense, right? This is, this is how he contributes best to his company. It's absolutely perfect, but it's very unusual. Usually people let, you know, let their ego decide on their career moves, but it looks like with Mitchell, it's his heart deciding, and it's his judgment of what where he brings the most value, which I admire a lot. Nice. I love that. Now, what about books? Is there a specific book that's had a major impact on you as a founder? And this can be a business book or just a personal book that influenced how you view the world? So in terms of business books, I don't read business books very frequently because it's usually you read the cover and then the rest is more of the same. So it's like a book you, you get at the airport and, okay, you read the cover, you buy a book, you get on a plane and you're hoping to find something more than there was on the cover, but it's actually like hammering the same points over and over and over again. And occasionally you find another book from the same author that claims the exact opposite. 
So I, I have a, a little bit of a problem with those books, but if I may recommend one book about product in particular that would be inspired by, by Marty Kagan. So I'm a big fan of SVPG's work in general. It's not rocket science what they do, but they they essentially put a lot of methodology around intuitions, right? As a product person or as a founder, you get a lot of intuitions as you grow the company and as you become larger. And if I knew their work before, I think I would have been more successful. Maybe we would have grown the company a little bit faster. Maybe we would have avoided some mistakes. So if there's one book that you want to read getting into product, I would suggest Inspired as, a, as one book. We also have two more books from that body of work. I read Empowered. I recently bought a third book that they launched thing last year, but I haven't had a chance to read it. It's more about product marketing rather than mm. building a product, but I'm, I'm very much looking forward to having some time to read it, I suppose. Nice. I'll have to check those out. Now let's dive deeper into the company. So can we just start with the origin story behind Spacelift? Sure. So as I said, I've been with Google for a couple of years building various things really, but I've been on the back end of the back end, essentially building storage systems. And I was an SRE so that, you know, my job was to keep the, the things running and to build the tooling around products. But it was really just, you know, SRE might be called DevOps before there was DevOps, right? And I built a lot of internal tooling, both at, at Google and at Facebook, and that was my thing, pretty much. I was the go-to person to build dev tooling. So when I then switched to consulting, that was my primary focus as well. My focus was to give scale-ups and companies that didn't have the time to build all of that stuff that Google and Facebook accumulated over the years try to get things off the shelf, try to buy things, but eventually try to offer the same experience for developers that would set them up for success in terms of growth and maintenance of, of the velocity that they had. Essentially build them DevOps pipelines, delivery pipelines, you know, observability pipelines, etc. As part of that, I built a number of bespoke solutions. Now, I'm not Obviously, I I'm a builder. I I do like tinkering, but as a consultant, you don't necessarily build that much. So you try to first get something for free. You know, they're paying you a day rate. Why should they be paying extra for software? If they don't need to pay for software, maybe they'll pay you a better day rate. So like you know, you try to get things for free. But if you can't, you probably want to buy. Building is the last resort. If there's nothing you can get for free, if there's nothing you can buy, then you'll try to build and. I built a number of things for my clients. One of those things turned out to be more successful than others. The way I saw it was when people are moving companies, they would come to me and say, Martin, I know you built a number of things at my previous employer. There's one thing that I really need in my new place. And they said what it was. It was essentially a predecessor of Spacelift. And no other thing that I built came anywhere close to that sort of success. And I thought to myself, I might not be an entrepreneur by heart, but if I don't give it a chance, I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life. So, well, I took my savings. I invested in building a park. 
and then took it to market and tried to find a, a business co-founder that will help me to turn it into a business. And three years later, here we are. Wow, that's amazing. So did you always know that you were going to eventually transition out from being CEO to focus on the product? So while we were still in our infancy, the plan was to have like a technical CEO who was, it was just better messaging for the investors, who was better messaging. It, it, at least we felt that way. It was better messaging for the developers that we were approaching as the early adopters that, you know, a CEO is an engineer and is, you know, is a hands-on practitioner. As we grew the company, it became quite clear that the focus of a CEO right now is business and not getting product off the ground. At that point, I had the luxury of resigning this post. Makes a lot of sense. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. Now, can you talk to us about traction and adoption that you're seeing with customers and users? Are there any numbers or metrics that you can share? We're growing multiple X year over year. And that, let me leave our metrics at Dash, has been way above even best market predictions. So we're growing very, very fast. It's not consumer tech where you just go boom and everyone uses is like flappy bird, right? With B2B SaaS, the adoption is obviously slower. And we're mainly targeting enterprises. So the sales cycle for enterprises takes a while because but between the time someone discovers Spacelift and they have all the necessary approvals and you know procurement uh, signatures, etc., the cycle is longer. So there's obviously not going to be like an explosion like with you know consumer attack. But we're seeing extremely fast growth and we're seeing growth in many sectors, but especially in the cloud natives, finance. We've seen some growth, like very good growth with newer businesses like crypto. But we're also seeing growth in traditional sectors like mining companies being our customers. We have Big Pharma being on our customers, very conservative companies. Like if you think about German pharmaceutical companies, that's like the definition of being conservative. And we're, we can count them among our customers. So we're seeing traction there as well. But if there's one category where, where we have the fastest option rate, that is definitely what you might call cloud natives or digital natives. And I think there's a lot of different definitions around cloud native and, and what that means. Could you just explain to us what that means in your view? So if I would call a company cloud native, that generally means that their business and their engineering is built on top of technologies that cloud offers. So they wouldn't, if we are trying to start that business 10 years ago or even five years ago, the technologies to that they're building on top of would not exist and they would have to build from scratch, which means that capital investment would need to be much higher and that they just wouldn't be able to get off the ground with the resources that they have to put. So we're talking about things that use, say, AWS primitives, like advanced technologies, like IoT companies, right? I mean, if you had to build an IoT platform back in the day, 
like the capital that you would need would be much, much higher. These days, IoT is like a, an off-the-shelf product, right? We need we use IoT core in our own platform, and it's like it costs peanuts, and it's super dependable. So let's say for companies that where cloud allowed them to build the business the way they built it and how fast they built it, I would call those companies cloud natives. And looking through the site, I see that it's used by some of the world's best DevOps teams. And just looking at some of those logos, I see DocuSign, Affirm, Figma. Yeah, these are, are big, big companies, very respected companies. What do you think you've gotten right? What were you able to do to really build trust with these big name logos? And how were you able to rise above the noise and, and capture their attention and earn their trust so that they would start using Spacelift? It's very hard to build trust as a new company, right? First thing you need to do right, I'd say, is product. Our advantage is that we have a product with a verified market need. We actually, I build the company based on the fact that people wanted something that I've built before. So we had that unfair advantage of actually having something, a verified market need. We knew that people wanted something like this and that they were not happy with existing alternatives, mainly because they told me, they approached me, and there was a reason I built it internally. And that reason is pretty much as valid today as it was back in the day when I was building it. So I think I started in 2018 as my first like drafts of, of an internal tool for my clients. So market demand is there product market fit, it's always a moving target, right? Because the product changes, the market changes. So the product market fit is never a given. But I think to a degree, we can say we have a product market fit for certain types of customers. We do have it. We've also been, I know it sounds funny for a startup, but we've been pretty conservative in a way we've been building the product. We went security first. And so we've, you know, we have a security team that is, by comparison, much larger than other companies this size would have. We design things security first, and we follow the security practices. We we stay on top of security topics, and we try to even be a step ahead of, of the whole security community consensus. And this was very important in getting trust of of a number of logos you don't see some of the logos on the page because they are conservative but you can you can trust me that's getting trust of some of the companies that we count among our customers is quite an accomplishment and security is one of the most important aspects there we have those developmental product development principles that are pretty much set in stone in space they go like like this, Spacelift must be secure, stable, usable, and awesome. All the features that we're building are actually awesome. The rest is actually non-functional stuff, right? So if we're not secure, we'll take down the, the application. If we know that there is a leak, we'll stop everything. We'll stop the world. If you know no features that you've built are worth anything if the app isn't up, so the stable goes next. Like coming from an SRE background, I'm used to thinking that things should be like a couple of nines, right? And this is the mindset that I bring to Spacelift. Like it has to work. 
even if it doesn't have the latest, greatest feature that we're working on, doesn't matter. It has to work. People are counting on it to be up and it is up. We have like insane numbers to prove it. And then usable is the next principle. So, okay, what good are the features if you can't use them, if you don't know how to use them, if they're hidden, if they're cumbersome, right? I'm not saying that we are perfect there because I think we can do a lot better, but we are trying to bring IEC to the masses. So we need to make it simple. We need to make it usable. And ultimately, everything else is awesome. And that comes last. Of course, we're trying to make Spacelift awesome, but it's not as important as stability, not as important as security and usability. And I think that ordering of principles is what allowed us to establish trust with some of the bigger brands, some of the bigger logos, and some of the more conservative customers. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Now let's talk about challenges. So I'm sure in your journey so far, you've encountered one or two challenges in terms of your uh, go-to-market. If we had to pick one challenge that you experienced and overcame, what was that challenge and how'd you overcome it? Well, the biggest challenge was to get off the ground. If you're a new company that says, oh, we need the keys to the kingdom, we need to manage your infrastructure, everyone is like, what? No, we don't know you. Who are you? You want to actually like have access to our AWS accounts? You got to be crazy, right? And so the biggest challenge is to get the trust, to get the few first customers on board. Um, now, we weren't the first company that would have access to your AWS accounts, but being a new company, it makes it very difficult. It's very different if, you know, what we do is manage your calendar appointments, like some of the other SaaS companies out there, or, or do something that is not that central for your company. Like even an ATS system, very important for the company to have a good ATS system, applicant tracking system. But it's not as core to the day-to-day function of your application as the infrastructure platform. How did we overcome it? Well, look, it's a challenge that we face daily. Uh, It's not that it's a problem that is done and dusted. It's just getting way more easier with every single logo that we sign. Initially, how we were able to convince a few first larger customers is by getting warm interest from investors and finding people in our network that would trust us, that they needed such solutions and they would trust us because they knew us as the founders personally, and they would trust us personally. Similar with investor networks, if we could convince some of the best investors out there, people would look at uh, our investors and consider that to be a proof of us being someone dependable. With every new logo that we sign, it's getting easier. That said, we couldn't sign every logo on the SaaS version. And there was a lot of demand for an on-prem solution. And so we ended up launching self-hosted version last month. So as of last month, we're no longer SaaS only. Got it. That all makes a lot of sense. Now, last question here for you before we wrap up. Let's zoom out into the future. So three years from today, what does the company look like? Startup years are even worse than dog years. Uh, so, 
what does the company look like? I don't know what the company looks like, but I can share with you how we make decisions about what the company looks like and what the company does. When we have a core product and we're looking for opportunities, growth opportunities or expansion opportunities, the way we look at it is we're trying to see what did people do before they open Spacelift and what did they do after they closed Spacelift? Where did they come to Spacelift from and where do they go from Spacelift to? And in those areas, are they happy with what they're seeing? Is there an area where we could try to use our expertise, try to use our way of thinking and our existing infrastructure and code base to make their experience better? For example, this is how we invested in building Ansible automation. A lot of people would just, you know, use Terraform for some of the stuff and then use Ansible for the rest. And it turned out that there wasn't any comparable solution to managing Ansible. And so they would very much appreciate if Spacelift supported Ansible as well. It's very similar to how we did Kubernetes. Like people would provision infrastructure using Terraform, which we originally supported, and then they would provision in for some of the infrastructure now can be provisioned using Kubernetes. Now, back in the day, if you said, oh, I want to provision Kafka with Kubernetes, people would be like, mm, maybe not, not a great idea. But it's a great idea these days. So people are you know, leaving infrastructure world and getting into application world. And that's where Kubernetes is king. And so that's how Kubernetes support was born. And this is essentially how we identify opportunities now it was more about infrastructures, code, IEC platforms. But as we see other, you know, as we go into like how people manage applications, how people do monitoring for applications, configuration for applications, we're starting to see opportunities where the products that they use might benefit from our unique insights, might benefit from the way we do things. And so we might be able to offer either standalone products or extensions of an existing product that would meet them where they need the most. And so this is the pragmatic approach that we're taking. There's obviously a number of areas that we're looking at. Some of the initial feasibility studies or proof or, you know, parks, we're verifying that with some of our trusted customers, but there isn't anything set in stone yet, so to speak. So I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> but this is the reasoning process that we're using. Mm. Fascinating and super, super interesting. Now, unfortunately, we are up on time. I'd love to keep you on and, and keep asking you questions here and, and keep digging deeper, but we'll just have to save that for part two or, or round two. So before we wrap up, if people want to follow along with your journey, where's the best place for them to go? Well, I suppose spacelift.io is our website. And from there, you can continue your journey. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on here and, and share your story and talk about that vision around what you're building. This is all super exciting and wish you the best of luck in executing on this vision. Thank you, Brad, for having me. No problem. Keep in touch. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode.